Chris Weatherman, also known as A American, is the author of 22 books, including the Survivalist series. His book, Going Home, was one of the early books in the post-apocalyptic genre, and it's a good read. Chris is a lifelong student of survival subjects, a teacher and speaker, and an expert in survival skills. This is an interview with him where we discuss getting started in solar power and a little bit about ham radio and its importance in prepper communications. Stay with us. Welcome to Practical Prepping. Today is February 8th, 2024, and this is episode 451. This is the prepping podcast with no bunkers, no zombies, and no alien invasions. Just practical prepping, where we believe that stuff happens, so we need to stay prepared. And we're here to help you get prepared. I'm Krista. And I'm Mark. And today we're talking about getting into solar power in an interview with Chris Weatherman. If you'd like the links mentioned in this episode, go to practicalprepping.info forward slash 451. Don't forget the question of the month for February of 2024, which is, have you ever received resistance to prepping from family members? And if so, how did you handle that? Go to the website practicalprepping.info and click on leave us a message. And we need your answer by February the 21st, of 2024. Hey, listen, we've started a private group on Facebook for practical prepping. It's a place where we can interact with others and we invite you to join. The link is in the show notes and on the practical prepping Facebook page and website. Chris tells us what we need in order to get started using solar power. Well, it kind of depends on exactly what they're looking to do. Once you once you start using solar power, you create an entirely new relationship with power because it's not like the, the power at home. You know, it's always there, it's always on, and it's unlimited. So with solar, one of the first things you have to do is figure out what do you want to run and determine how much power that consumes. So you got to do some load calculations. So for most people, it's probably going to be fridge, freezer, and like a well pump if they're on a homestead because those are your priorities with your well pump actually being your, your number one priority, fridge and freezers being secondaries. But you could also put a solar jack pump on your well and eliminate that load entirely. Also take it off your light bill because uh, the solar jack pump will run your water for you just like uh, the submersibles do with line power. And every state's different. Like in Florida, it is not legal to have an off-grid solar home. Everything has to be grid tied. They do that so the power companies can always be making a dollar off of you no matter what because they're going to charge you the maintenance fee for power that you probably don't even sell back to the grid, you know. So you're going to at the very least be paying for the meter base even if you're not using the power. It depends on your state and locality. The, the basic system of a solar system is the panels. You'll probably have what's called a collector box that all the panels run into. From there, you will run to a charge controller and then to your batteries. And from your batteries, you're going to come out the other side with inverters. One of the big things that folks can do is try to find ways to do things with DC power that they're presently doing with alternating current AC power. So like you could run some wire through your house and change all your lighting out to 12 volt DC because there is a lot of loss involved in an inverter to heat. Now that could be captured 
or it could be used to heat a space in the house or to keep a space warmer for, say, storage or that sort of thing. Because it does generate quite a bit of heat, and it depends on the draw, the load that's actually on the inverter at the time. But finding ways to do things with DC, like get a 12-volt DC refrigerator. They're out there. They're, they're very nice, and you can get them. RVs do it. They're 12-volt, or they're DC, or, or they could be AC. But anything that you could run with DC, you're going to get a much better bang for the buck. And there's also another way to go with this, what, what I'm presently looking at doing. Because I had built a portable solar system. I had built a, a 5KW portable system in a small trailer that I could pull up and set up anywhere. And basically, it was like having a 5KW generator that ran all day long and never made any noise. But there's a company called EcoFlow, and I am not sponsored by them. I don't make money from them. I'm, I'm actually getting ready to send them a whole lot of money because I'm buying one of their systems. And they're an out-of-the-box kind of a solution. And what they have are the, the battery banks. There are standalone units with built-in inverters and everything on them. So there's DC power, there's USB ports on them, there's 110 outlets. And you can daisy-chain these together to create even more power. And then they have a very small little generator. I think it's like a 1,200-watt or 1,700-watt generator that is smart that you can put in series with these units. And when the batteries get low, if the solar panels that are connected to it are not getting the job done, it will start itself, charge the batteries, and turn itself off when it gets there. And it sips gasoline. Chris wants his solar system to be totally portable. He lives in Florida and may have to leave in the case of a hurricane. Now, that solution for the two battery banks, the generator, and the panels to go with it is about a $10,000 price tag. That's what I'm getting ready to buy from Ecolink to do my house. Because for me personally, it's more important that my solar system and my, my backup power system be portable. Because I may not be able to stay at my house. I might have to leave. Units that will take a solar panel. And they actually charge well. I have not a not an EcoFlow brand, but another one with a fair... I think I have a 100-watt panel that goes on it. And I use it often in the field. I use it out on contracts with DOD and things like that. And it'll keep cell phones going and even keep my laptop charged uh, as long as the panel's out receiving the sun. Chris gives me solutions for powering our ham radios and my CPAP with solar power in the event of a power outage. Now, another great company is one called Jackery, and they're like little suitcase units, and they have panels as well as, you know, you can plug them in to charge them, and they would run your CPAP machine for a considerable amount of time. Now, if you wanted cheaper, not as user-friendly, but way more power, I would recommend you would get two to 400 watts worth of panels, a charge controller, and one single, either like a D6-style battery or a marine deep cycle or like an Optima, Blue Top, and a small inverter. That would run a CPAP machine for days and days. Power inverter selection is important in getting the most effective power from our solar systems. And the key to remember when you're doing things like this is size the inverter to the load. If you only need 300 watts and that's all you need, don't buy a 5,000-watt inverter because that thing is going to be wasting so much power. Buy a 300-watt inverter. And, and they're cheap. Uh, you could buy 300s, 500s, 750s, 1000s, 1200s, 5000s. I mean, 3000s, 2000s. You can get them in all sizes. And you just match the inverter to the load you need to use so that you're not just having an inverter sitting there all day long, just generating heat and burning off your batteries. That, that would be my recommendation because that's going to be the cheapest way. You can go buy like a Jackery unit or something like that, but those are going to run you from one to $5,000. Whereas... A Optima or, or a Marine Deep Cycle, you know, 
three, four hundred bucks for that battery, a couple hundred dollars for a small inverter, a hundred dollars for a charge controller, and then your panels, and you're in for a lot less money than buying one of those. Now it's it's not as pretty and as user friendly. It's not a nice little case, and they don't have LED readouts and all that stuff on it. But if you want to put a voltage meter on your battery, order one off of Amazon and wire it to it. You'll be able to look down and see what your voltage is on. Simple enough. I took a Pelican case, actually, probably about a three foot long one, two foot wide Pelican case. And I put sealed lead acid batteries inside of it. And it had a fuse block in there, the batteries, there was a charge controller inside of it. And so the power came off into the fuse block. And then from the fuse block, I ran to the outside of the box where I mounted USB ports, 12 volt ports, and a 110 outlet. And the inverter was inside the case. The charge controller was inside the case. And then I used Anderson power pole connections for the connection to the solar panels into the box so that everything was as waterproof as I could make it. Because I used this waterproof, you know, waterproof USB, waterproof 12 volt one, and a weatherproof cover on the outlet. I could drag this thing out. It had power in it. It was always charged. And I could use it immediately and set my panels up when I had time to recharge. So that was a nice little kind of like these portable systems, only it contained considerably more power than what you buy through these commercial outlets. Because I think I had 900 amp hour batteries inside of that case, two of them. So I had 1800 amp hours of power inside of this case. So that was, that was quite a bit of power. Yeah. And you know, you could pull the handle up, drag it around. Yes, it was very heavy, but it was on wheels and I didn't have to tote it all the time. So it was a really nice little solution. And sadly, it's been sitting in my shop for a while and I have to replace those batteries, I'm sure. Battery care extends the life expectancy of batteries. Chris gives us some information on that. The worst thing you could do for batteries, too, is, is to discharge them below 50%. If you've got a battery that's reading like 5 or 6 volts, you've done some pretty serious damage to that battery, and you may want to go through a regeneration cycle if you've got a quality charger, or actually pour the electrolyte out of the battery and do the baking soda solution on a charger to descale your plates and everything, and then dry out the battery and then add new electrolyte to it. And you can bring them back to life for a while that way. I actually do that in my books. They, they, they recover a battery using this method because they needed one for a vehicle. Once they've sat too long, the scale and the damage that happens to them is pretty significant. But doing the solution, running the charger on it without electrolyte in there causes that scale to, to just flake off. And, you can pour a lot of it out, but it'll still be in the bottom of the case. But as long as it's not on the plates, that's the thing. We need clean surface area for the electrolyte to interact with the plates inside the battery to generate the current. So Now, Chris, you've mentioned EcoFlow and Jackery, and we'll put the links in the show notes. But what are some other good companies for our listeners to be looking toward? Goal Zero is another one that I would throw onto that pile um, without hesitation. And again, Jackery, EcoFlow, and Goal Zero, those are the three, what I would consider premier manufacturers of quality, real genuine quality equipment. I like EcoFlow because because it's not a Chinese company. Jackery's Chinese. Gold Zero is manufactured in China, and EcoFlow is probably manufactured in China. But the quality control is, is really good on all three of these. So those three companies would be the ones I recommend. Now again, you're going to pay a premium because you know they're they're very well engineered, they're very user friendly, the ergonomics are very nice on them, they look nice. You know, it's not a 12 volt big battery laying on the floor with some cables coming out of it, you know, and a, a bit of a Rube Goldberg installation. So you're going to pay more for that. But if the budget is the number one driving factor, build it yourself. Buy a battery box, put the battery in it. If you want to get fancy, get a case like I did with mine and a fuse block and wire everything inside of a box so you nothing to see and you just plug into the outside of it. And you're essentially building the same thing that Jackery, EcoFlow, and, and Gold Zero make. 
communications is always a concern of mine, so I was interested in his backup power for his radios. If it was me, and because I'm a ham radio operator as well, and I have the same backup kind of power stuff for my radios. I travel in a, my camper a lot. We, me and my wife travel all over the country, and I take my radios with me and run them from the camper. and got portable antennas and everything. I like the big, like, D6 battery for my radio. I just want to know that the power's there. Now, I talk very little on my radios. Like you said, I do a lot of listening. Uh, I do quite a bit on VHF, but that's 90% of the time that's my handhelds or the one in my truck. So those are non-issues to me. But, you know, being able to recharge those, obviously. But to make sure that I have the, the voltage and the current available for my ham radios, to me, that is such a critical piece of my contingency plans. It's the only form of communication we possess that the government cannot control. Chris does a recap of solar power systems and using power judiciously. Folks, is, is, you know, go online and Google solar load calculation. All right. And you'll find tables on it. You can just plug this data into it and it will do the calculations for you. Once you know what size unit system you need, then you can get to the building. But be judicious with your use of power on a solar system. Okay? It, it becomes precious. When, when there is no power, a little power is a lot of power. A 12-volt battery in a world where there is no power plants that operate is, is, is a high-valued commodity. So be judicious with your use of power. You know? You're not going to walk out of the room and leave the lights on when you're living on a solar system. You're not going to do this. You're not going to leave the seal of fan running in the room. You're not in the solar system. One biggest piece of advice I could give people is if you're thinking of solar is right now, the second, begin changing your mental relationship with power. It's no longer magic from the ether that happens when you flip light switches and stuff. It's going to be just like homesteading. If you're raising your own livestock and you're, and you're growing your own food, you're going to see it from start to finish. You're going to generate the electricity. You're going to store the electricity. You're going to use the electricity. You're going to be fully involved in this system. Begin doing that mindset because you got to train your entire family as well. Everybody has to be on the same boat. You know, it may be that we can turn the TV on for two hours a day, and that's all the TV time we get is two hours a day. That's critical um, to, to begin to, to rebuild that relationship with the idea of what electricity and power is. Ham radio is a critical component of the well-prepared, and being able to keep them powered is critical. But we need to have a license to learn and to practice to be proficient with our radios. I don't think enough people understand the value and the criticality of that system. You will want them. And you're not going to buy them, folks, and not get a license and think that on game day, you're going to take them out of the box and turn them on and operate ham radios. Because as we both can attest to, ham radio is, is technology, but it is also an art. I personally believe there's some magic and voodoo in there as well. From my point of view, HF is far more important than VHF. It's, it's dark because now we can listen globally. Once you get into HF, things get far more complicated. Tenants and tuners, and tenant matching, and all the things that have to happen. Like people forget we are so immersed in knowledge and, and access to it that, that what happens when it goes away and solar power will be the thing that will help keep a lot of that alive. And it will become a commodity. Ham radio operators are instrumental when other communication systems fail. And Chris shares a real-life search and rescue situation. People don't think about when communication fails, someone with a solar system with a ham radio can send a message to somebody else and so that the community can benefit. They can come to you and be like, hey, I need to contact my so-and-so here. They'll write their message, give you the name, and the ham radio operator can go to work 
and then start making those contacts and doing the relays until that message can get to finally where it needs to go. Because the ham community is like that, and they will do that for people. I was involved in a real-world SAR. It's a search and rescue. Uh, we had some, we had an elderly lady lost in the forest, and there was no phone communication whatsoever. And, and so I happened to be there, and, uh, and I immediately got on my radio. I made a call for emergency traffic, and I got a station immediately. And he was my relay to search and rescue. And we had the sheriff coming in the fire department. They were getting ready to put a helicopter up and stuff. And I'm in my truck searching the forest. And, and I, it, actually, I ended up finding her. And we had to pull her car out. She tried to follow Google. And it had led her down a forest road that was nothing but about 18 inches of sugar, pure sugar sand. And her car was bottomed out. She was stuck out there. And she did have health issues that were a, a severe concern to us. And so I found her. Um, I got her out to where an ambulance could take care of her. And then I went in and took my truck. And I pulled her car out of the road. Paramedics said that she was in good enough shape and she refused treatments. She was able to just go on home. But that's the power of a ham radio. Other skills added to ham radio experience increase our value to the community in certain situations. I'm a pretty decent tracker, and in, and in SAR situations, I've assisted as a tracker as well. And again, valuable skills. Just this, this is knowledge. You know that once you have these things, they live in your head. But, but as with all things, they're perishable skills, and you've got to exercise them from time to time. So. I go out in the woods and find footprints, I follow. So we were going. And just learning, teaching myself more about them. So that's my constant state is I'm always learning more about the, the homesteading, preparedness space, security, medical, communications, solar power, which is a really big one for me. All of the things that are, that are necessary to have a plan. Chris, tell us what you do and how you can help our listeners and how people can contact you. I have a website, uh, Angry American, spelled the way I spell it, uh, A-N-G-E-R-Y. There's a reason. Everybody thinks I'm illiterate. So angryamerican.com, you can go to their website. There's a newsletter you can sign up for. But I'm also on all the social medias. You can message me, reach out anyway. I answer my own messages. I don't have nobody to do it for me. So if you reach out, I will talk to you. And we, uh, on a contract basis, and when I say we, I, I have a cadre of guys. Sometimes they call me to help them. Sometimes I call them to help me that are experts in their fields. I mean, world-class guys, premier in what they do. Everything from permaculture to security and everything in between. And we are available at a contract basis for everything from a home site evaluation to home site training to medical training to firearms training to working with your ham radios to helping you put up a solar system, to helping you with a water system. So whatever you need, whatever you need, we've got guys and we will come to you. That's the thing. Now that can get a little expensive depending on where you are and what you need done. But these are men, myself included. I've got over 40 years invested in my skill set. I started doing this stuff when I was 10 years old. So I've got over 40 years invested in my survival skills set, which has morphed over the years into something much bigger than I ever imagined when, when I started. But we'll come train you. And I can't stress the value of training. You don't need to get it from me. I don't care. But get it from someone. But some training is, is always better than none. And uh, a trainer that's going to teach you bad habits is really doing you a disservice. It's not helping. So read reviews, look into who, who you're considering training with. And you can always hit me up on social media, and I'll, I'll throw recommendations to you of people to talk to, or I can even arrange it for you. Chris has written a number of post-apocalyptic books under the pseudonym A American, and he tells us a little bit about how that came about. The books happened actually as a thought exercise for me personally. I was on a survival forum one evening. They had a fiction section. I was just in there reading stories, and I thought to myself, you know, some of these are okay. Some of these are really bad. Some of these are pretty good. I'm like, but they're all missing something for me. I just said, oh, what the hell? I'm going to write one. So I wrote a story on the swarm. So I started doing it. And it just immediately took off. Now, 
when I did this too, it was 2010. So really the only thing out there in the genre at the time was One Second After and Patriots. And then you had to go back to like William Johnstone, Out of the Ashes and that kind of stuff. So I kind of hit the market at the exact perfect moment. I hit right as that genre was about to explode. And I'm partly to blame or take credit for that explosion because when my book came out and did what it did, everybody looked around and I'm like, if that redneck can do this, I can do this. And a lot of people started writing. A lot of really good writers started writing. And so that's pretty awesome to, to know I was kind of a, a leading force of the genre that is now. Because as you know, there are hundreds upon hundreds of books in the genre now, and probably hundreds of writers even. So it was, it was a lot of fun. The Going Home series now has 12 books. Exploring Home just released in November. The 13th as yet untitled book will release. I'm wanting to aim for June, July-ish, but I don't know if I'm going to hit the mark because I've got a book I'm finishing now before I will finish that one. So there's plenty out there. I have 22 titles total. Um, there's Charlie's Requiem, which is a spinoff from the Going Home series. There's also a nonfiction book that I did with Alan Kay, who won the first season of History Channels alone. That if anybody, if you guys know who he is, he is a fantastic instructor, mentor, and brother to me. I'm actually up here right now at his place. Chris also has a podcast. We do a podcast Wednesday nights. Eh, today's Wednesday at 8 p.m. There, it goes out live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and then you can download this podcast and find that everywhere. And I do it with some of my very good friends, Robert Toombs with uh, Mountain Readiness, which is an expo that I, I assist in putting on in May up in Harmony, North Carolina. Look up mountainreadiness.com. Come check the expo out. It's a very nice, comfortable blending of like-minded but different-minded people where everybody gets along and everybody's there to help each other. And, and it's a nice way to build network, meet new friends, find sources and resources for things. So I would say check out Mount Readiness. So Bob James is on there with me. Amory Morgenstern, uh, my Israeli SF buddy, is on there with us. And Sue LaRue, who, who's a bit of a legend that most people don't even know who the guy is. So the four of us do a podcast together Wednesday night. So sometimes we have a guest and talk about topics of different varieties. Now, the last word from Chris is good advice. Give the last little word is be good or be good at it, guys, and keep fighting the good fight. Today's cup of coffee comes from John. John! John, we really appreciate sure it. Sure do. You know, if you receive value from the podcast, how about helping us out by giving back a little? First, you can buy us a cup of coffee, just like John did. Second, you can start your Amazon shopping from our website. That costs you nothing extra, but it pays us a small commission on qualifying purchases. You'll find the links to both of those at practicalprepping.info. They help us out, and we really appreciate it. And as Krista always says, Stuff happens. Stay prepared. And we'll see you next time.